Welcome back to Sports and Society for March 24th. Uh, this is Brad and Kyle's away, so we've got an extra special guest in today. Uh, this we got Sam Lev with us today. How you doing, Sam? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Why don't you Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, man? Sure. Uh, doing a, a podcast here face to face with Brad and Roanoke. Um, I live and work in Roanoke and have for about five years. Um, I'm a runner. It's my sporting choice, I suppose. And my current project of interest is I am trying to run every single street here in our fair city, um, all 600 miles of them over the course of a year or two. Well, it's also nice to have you here because you're an NFL fan, and we uh, we make crap on the NFL. I know you guys you guys like to talk trash about the NFL, and I can't say I'm going to defend it strongly, <laughs> um, but you know I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of my team more than I am of the NFL at large. Fair enough, fair enough. And that team is the Atlanta Falcons. All right, and you're a Braves fan as well. I'm a Brad, born and raised in Atlanta, so if, if it's an Atlanta team, by and large, I'm a fan. Yeah, very good. Well, we'll start, as we always do here, with uh, what's captivated this, this past week. So why don't you start us, Sam? What have, what have you been paying attention to? Sure. Yeah. The um, You know, I think it's the like, kind of the tail end of the <coughs> beginning of NFL free agency, and it's also the end of the MLB offseason. So I've been seeing um, really interesting contracts, trades, player moves uh, across multiple leagues, and it always fascinates me, one, kind of how how different leagues treat salaries and contracts and trades and two kind of what players are worth across different leagues. It's, it's super interesting to me to kind of track how that stuff happens and the kind of frenzy at the beginning of the season, but also with the major leagues this year, kind of the hold off on the huge money until the very, very last possible moment with the likes of Machado and Bryce Harper. You know, that is, uh, it's fascinating me as well. And I, you know, we've talked a little bit about Harper and Charles contracts, but it's also, I think about, NFL, I was really interested in some of the trade stuff. Like Antonio Brown went for what, like a second round pick and a fifth round pick or something yeah. like that? I'm like, that seems like in the NBA, you would never trade somebody of that caliber for that, those kind of picks. Those would be awful picks. But in, somehow in the NFL, that equation is just different. And Yeah, draft caliber in, in the NFL seems to be um, far outsized compared to some of the other leagues. And I, I still can't kind of catch up with why a like superstar entering his prime isn't worth, you know, a top, top pick. Um, someone like Antonio Brown. You know, the only thing I kind of come back to is I think, unlike a lot of other sports, football is much more of a system, right? One player can't, you know, can't take the team and, and run with it like um, like a LeBron James in basketball can or like a Mike Trout who also just got a massive payday can in baseball. Like those individual players can be a lot more outsized um, than in the NFL, I think. And maybe that's why. Yeah. And I'd also be really intrigued to know what like the real wording of some of these contracts look like, especially when I think about you mentioned the Mike Trout contract. I mean, that's 400 plus. It's almost million. half a billion dollars. Yeah. And you're thinking like, this guy could like blow out his knee next year. I mean, we saw what happened with King Griffey Jr. Like at some point, he was just not the same player anymore. And like, what what do you do with all that money? There's got to be something that those teams are writing in there to let themselves off the hook on some of that money. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe it's just like it's worth the risk because pro sports are a major money maker too, right? So maybe four hundred thirty million isn't that scary <laughs> over twelve years. Um, because it's going to be, they're going to be fine either way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's some out clauses for injuries and stuff. Uh, 
I, but I, I am unaware. I mean, 12 years is a long time to commit to someone. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially, I mean, you think about the NFL, they got the big thing has always been the non guaranteed money. And so that's the big difference is that they've got those outs that if you don't perform, then they're not going to pay you yeah. nearly what that thing is worth. Yeah. And the NFL is really the only one that still battles with that, right? Like basketball players, no such thing as non guaranteed money. Yeah. So. It's interesting, to say the least. Anytime you see those numbers of money going across the screen, it's like, whoa, let's let's stop and pay attention to this for a minute. It just continues to shock me how much how much these owners are making off of off of pro sports. I mean, TV TV deals are out of control, and it's just yeah. it's really unbelievable that someone can throw up forty three million four hundred thirty million dollars and not necessarily bat an eye. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's what's interested you this past week? Well, so uh, this is an interesting one because it's actually what has uh, disappointed me as opposed to really interested me and made me not pay attention to something. I am This year's Premier League race uh, has been one of the best in recent memory. And um, and yet here we are, you know, seven games left in the season or whatever, and we've got international break where if you don't know the soccer and the soccer world, you'll take a week off and all the best players will go play for their national teams. Uh, and they have to do that, and I understand that. But man, it just—I hate it. Like this is—I'm so excited. I want to go home and watch Man U play Chelsea, and like something that's important for this really exciting race. And yet, no, nope, I get to see you know Albania play Italy or France play. It's just friendlies, right? It's just <laughs> well, it's, so even when there's real competition, I don't. I don't care about it at this point. I mean, they, they instituted the Nations Cup to kind of do away with most of those friendlies in Europe, and they're fine. It's but you know, they just these the level of play. That's the big thing is that uh, international soccer is just not nearly as good as club soccer is at this point. And so, like I remember a couple of years ago, uh, after the last World Cup, watching Atletico play Real couple of weeks after the end of the World Cup, and I was like, oh, this is a different game these guys are playing when they're there whole years playing with each other and learning how everybody moves. And I would much rather watch that than I would international soccer. But For sure. And it, to me, that speaks to like to coaching and, and time together, right? And you just, you throw a group of international players together who get a week to train and play a couple games. And it's just not, you know, even if it's super talented players, it's just not the same. Well, there's a real art to that team building too, like knowing that, you know, the player you need there is the, as a fast player versus, you know, super skilled player and like finding the right balance in that. And when you're a club, you can do whatever you need to do to get those players there. Whereas when you're an international team, you got who you have and that's who you have to make the most with. I mean, yeah, yeah I remember, you know, the England team back when I first got into soccer, you had Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard who are, these are two icons of English soccer but they both do like the exact same thing and so how can you have them on the field at the same time and what do you lose when you do that it's just the constant struggle and disappointment of national soccer do you get fired up about national like international soccer that matters though do you like Olympic soccer and World Cup and I do I really like those Euros maybe even more than Olympics but yeah World Cup for sure um, and uh I love it because of how much it matters, but it's this the quality still just bothers me on some level. I, I wish that like these American fans that haven't experienced soccer that instead of like taking the time to watch Brazil versus 
Argentina or whatever that they would watch, you know, Real Madrid versus Barcelona. That would be a much better way to fall in love with the game than this the big derby. You know, this goes back to to my kind of my football fandom is it's you know, maybe it's for for those types of folks it's less about kind of the pure like peak of the sport and more about the like dogged fandom for yeah. your home country. It's it's the truth. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm hoping we'll talk about this more soon. But I mean, you talk about we were talking about Indian cricket before we came on there and we talked about it a little last week and but you talk about a fan base that is just rabid for success. And they just want to, all that matters is Indian cricket to them. You know, like you can play cricket in other kinds, but all they care about is that, that most basic form and that fundamental form. So, yeah, it's, it's a different world <laughs> for yeah. sure. But, you know, fandom, I think it's, again, it's just, you're, you're watching a, you're watching a sport, not for the, like the highest level of sport, but you're watching it because you want to see your, your boys and girls win, you know? It is interesting. There's a lot of speculation in the NBA right now. People are becoming fans of players as opposed to teams. Um, and so they'll follow their players as fans more than they'll follow teams, which is an interesting phenomenon, which makes us old fogies. Like, what are you guys doing? No, you have to. I'm a UVA fan through and through. I'm not going to switch because. KD signed for another team now, whatever. But maybe this is the way it's going. I think, you know, all the leagues are really trying to promote this, this exciting thing that is free agency and is trades. And, and so what do you, what are you really committing to when you're a fan of the institution of the Atlanta Falcons? Right. Am I like, is it the bird? Is it the colors? Is it just cause it's my hometown or do I like, am I committed to the players that I've grown to love over the years? And mm-hmm. what happens when they leave? Cause inevitably most of them leave. Most of them find their way to another team just cause of the way the system's built. Well, it's true enough. I mean, like uh, when Julio Jones inevitably goes somewhere else, like as long as it's not, like a ugly situation, you're probably going to look at him wherever he is with a fondness. Yeah, um, to be sure. There's probably a lot of new Cleveland Browns fans now because of Odell, you yeah. know? Uh, well, let's talk about something super niche, which is growing in fandom rapidly, although I'm not sure the athletes are the heroes at this point quite yet. Interesting. Um, yeah, let's do it. But, um, this week's article that we're kind of digging into, but it's also part of a much bigger conversation, is the Masochist Marathon by George Pendle for Esquire, which is also, you know, to kind of go back to, um, uh, I forget what the name of the documentary about the Barkley Marathons was. It's just uh, called the Barkley Marathons. Yeah. Uh, but it's about the Barkley Marathon and the, the incredible hardship that it is but uh, do you kind of want to give us an outline of what the what that is what the event looks sure. like sure for those of you that are unaware of the Barkley marathons um the Barkley marathons is a single event uh an ultra marathon of kind of the hardest capacity um it is a roughly 100 mile race but people who actually run it will claim it's about 130 miles in um the hard scrabble mountains of central Tennessee, I believe. Um, and it is widely regarded as just one of the kind of quirkiest and, and most physically demanding, uh, foot races on the face of this earth. Um, do you want me to talk a little bit about kind of the setup? It's, you have a, a 60 hours to complete five 
distinct loops around this home base. Um, each loop is about a marathon, which is why we're calling it the Barkley Marathons. Um, 20 miles to 25 miles, uh, mostly off trail. Uh, you're not allowed to use GPS, so it's it's kind of compass wayfinding, which adds a little bit of an element. It's it's bad weather. It's middle of the night. It's no sleep. It's it's again. It's kind of just everything that can be hard about running uh, magnified by 20, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, I love that you have to do it in opposite direction so that you don't necessarily like just because you know where you're going in one direction doesn't mean you know where you're going back. Yeah, each each loop is different and, you know, just adding to the kind of lore of that, um, you don't just kind of know that you're reaching a certain point and turn around and come back. Each loop has 13 different books laid out that you have to find. So you've got to kind of follow the generally approved route to get to each book and tear out a specific page of said book relating to your bib number, as it were. Um, come back at the end of your loop and turn in all of the pages of the book to prove that you've completed the entire loop. So tear the wrong page and you're disqualified. Miss the book, you're disqualified no matter how far, how hard you ran. Um, it's a pretty razor thin margin for, for error and for success. Well, there's all the quirkiness goes far beyond that in some ways in terms of you also don't know when it starts. Like you get a one hour warning for a 12 hour period that it's going to start with and um, could be the middle of the night, could be in the morning, who mm -hmm. knows? Usually, yeah, usually it's in the middle of the night. The um, the race director, race creator from back in the 80s uh, goes by the pseudonym Ladder Lazarus Lake, is kind of one of the one of the oddest, quirkiest guys in the sport. Um, no longer a runner himself, um, heavy smoker, uh, <laughs> kind of a bizarre guy that, that created this race. Yeah, he wakes up whenever he wants to in the middle of the night or around midnight. Um, yeah, I think you get a 12-hour window, he blows a conch, shell, and you have one hour to kind of wake up, get your wits about you, and start the race. The race starts officially not with a starting gun like most races, but by watching Laz uh, light a camel cigarette. <laughs> yeah, so just a crazy race. And, uh, you know, this kind of uh, brings up all kinds of questions. You know, f out of the thousand plus folks that have attempted it, I think at this point, 15 different individuals have finished it. It's been finished more times than that, but only 15 people have been able to do it. Um, routinely, as it, as you see in the documentary, people will be happy to finish one loop, and then there's a term of a fun run for completing five, three of the five loops, Please. which is a lifetime achievement for most people. Um, and yet, there's just there's so much more that keeps driving people on. So it kind of brings in this whole question about the popularity of ultra marathons these days and this kind of growing trend of pushing yourself to the absolute limit. So you have a little bit of experience in this field, don't you, Sam? I have run a couple of ultra marathons. I guess when you're, when you're talking about ultra marathons, they've been towards the shorter side and the less extreme end of it, which is kind of a, an ironic statement in and of itself. Um, but yeah, a little bit of experience, a little bit of, uh, I think I've done three ultra marathons in my, in my day. I think those days are beyond me at this point, but, but I've done them. And generally speaking, that's anything that's over 26.2 miles is generally falls into that you're category. Running longer than a marathon, you're running an ultra marathon. Yeah. yeah it's a pretty loose term. Um, but it's, so what is it when you ran those races, what is it that made you want to do that? That is a very good question. <laughs> uh, you know, I had run, let's see, I had started thinking about it even before I ran my first marathon. And um, 
I I grew up running. I ran in college, so I, I'd always kind of been focused on um, the short stuff. So the miles, the five Ks, the ten Ks, and and when when I kind of put that behind me, when I put that competitive racing from college behind me, I I still wanted to run. I wanted to push myself, and started thinking about new and different ways I could do that. And for me, it, it just kind of really it happened over a couple of years and this, this shift in my mind of, well, if I'm not going to run as hard as I can over a short distance, maybe I can just try and run further and further and further. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, the boom in a lot of ways really happened, um, with a book called born to run that kind of shed some light on this story of the Leadville ultra marathon and these, uh, these native, uh, this native tribe in Mexico called the Taro Umara Indians who, um, who do this by nature. They have this ball game where they just run for days on uh, days and days on end, kind of chasing mm -hmm. this ball together. And a lot of people read that book. I read that book and really just started to shift my brain towards another opportunity to really test yourself, which is going further, not faster. It's well, I love that there's this trend too to make them like you can do like a 50, 100 miles or whatever, but the trend seems to be to like also make it super radical in other ways too. Like you're going to go through Death Valley or you're going to go across the Sahara or you're going to go up and down the biggest mountains, you know, or in the case of the Barclays, you're just going to have to add a wayfinding and, you know, what they estimate I think was something like 120 thousand feet of elevation change over the course of that hundred miles or plus. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've started, we've started doing ultras and, and they probably started just like anything else as someone saying, Hey, maybe it would be cool to run 50 miles instead of 26 miles. So they do it on the roads and they, they knock it out. And we're just, I think part of the, I mean, ultra runners are crazy. And part of, part of the lunacy of that is continuing to push that much harder, that much further and making it that much more extreme. And so you've got, yeah, you've got these events that just put you in death Valley in July for whatever reason, because, you know, because, uh, an ultra marathon when the temperature is nice is just not enough. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it raises these questions for me too. Like, uh, you know, the the question of why is a big one in my mind, and we're never going to answer it. But it is, like, it's a real, very real thing. A lot of these things charge some pretty massive fees to be in it. Like, obviously, do the training you have to do to be part of it is a massive commitment. There's often no prizes attached to most anything. Um, and even, like, you know, you talk about something like Leadville, which is one of the most popular, right? You've got, you've got like, five guys that might win that, like, Everybody else is just doing it to do it. Uh, and so this question of why makes me wonder, and this gets back to this point that I think might be part of it, but I want to hear your thoughts on, which is whether or not the lack of excitement and the domesticity of normal life plays into it for these folks that want to get out there and push the boundaries. Is that, and I think, is that part of what, you know, I look at, everything from roller coasters to Spartan races and everything else potentially falling in that category of like, we're just kind of bored as a society with, and we want to see what 
we're capable of in some ways. Is, does that resonate with you? Um, yeah, it resonates a little bit, but I also think there's, there's, I'd like to think there's something a little more noble about it that is really just trying to kind of push, push the human condition as far as it'll go. Um, testing our limits is, is something that I know resonates with me and resonates with a lot of runners in that we we're all different. We're all individual humans, but we all, you know, we all share this ability to really, um, to see how far we can go, to see to see what the peak of our physical ability, our mental ability, our our, our kind of intestinal fortitude, you know, our, our toughness is, um, and you see that across a lot of sports and a lot of endurance efforts, and and you see it beyond sports too. Is just everyone? I think a lot of people are just really interested in kind of figuring out what their their peak achievement, you know, and what, what's possible within themselves. Mm. Um, but yeah, boredom for sure. I mean, you know, why do we do something that's 50 times harder than something we already have a difficult time with? Um, you know, there's always going to be somebody out there that I think is doing something more extreme than you are, uh, no matter what level you're at. Uh, because yeah, we just want to see what I think, what our bodies and what our, our minds are capable of. Well, it's really interesting to me as well. Cause I, I, I come back to, you know, we're, we're both cycling fans, um, me perhaps more than you, but like Lance has talked about how incredibly bad for the body, the tour de France is. And there's some research out there about how bad some of these ultra marathons are for your body in terms of scar tissue around your heart and Mm -hmm. some of that other kind of stuff. Uh, And yet like for me, the tour de France is like a very clear, like, Oh, like you do it to see who can ride your bike up and down these mountains and across this course the fastest. And do you think it's in some ways, like, I wonder for me if it's just this was established already and so that's why it is the way it is. And, like, are we going to see a point where ultramarathoning is the same way, like, they're the, the, the peaks where everybody, like, the best in the world come out for that particular thing? And, like, so is the Leadville going to become a thing where every year there's, like... There's, it's, it becomes something like the Tour de France in some ways where it's an accepted uh, full-scale media and sports entertainment event. Yeah, I mean, you see that happening already. Uh, you know, these races that have kind of been these grassroots efforts for decades are kind of finding that media money, are, are gaining lots of sponsors. There's there's prize money for winners at places like Leadville um, and some of the other kind of best races in the world, some of their biggest races in the world. Um, uh, the one in Mont Blanc is really incredible. There's a couple in Europe. Um, the Europeans love like their really hard mountain climbing ultra marathons, <laughs> um, which is super, uh, super interesting to me. Um, but you also see them uniting under kind of national and international series and championships. There's like the six, the six kind of biggest and most storied ultra marathons in the United States has a series and people try and do all six in a year, which is extra insane. Um, so I, I think you kind of see some of that like gathering of resources and the money getting into stuff and, and these races really blowing up. Which raises these questions for me about whether, like what that does to a sport in some ways, like does it change your enjoyment as a runner to have, like crazy things happening around there and for it to be super commercialized there is that like does it give a legitimacy that you don't have people asking more well why are you doing this crap if all of a sudden like all these brands are behind it, everybody assumes that well there's a reason to do it now and like but does it do you lose purity and that's like what i don't know it raises a lot of questions that i think some 
these kind of races are not the only sports that are facing these kind of questions as they grow. For sure. Yeah, on the one hand, I mean, my like my gut reaction is to say if people are investing their their lives in it, if people are working so hard to do these races, yes, the pure thing is to do the race for the race. But if you can also make a living, if you can take in some sponsor dollars and win some prize money over the course of a year and, and make a living, in some ways, there's you know there's not so much harm in that um, for the people that are involved who who do work hard at it and do. Um, you know, do something that is compelling to people. And that's like, that's why a lot of people watch any sport is because it's compelling to watch, you know, watch these feats of, of, you know, the human form. And so in some ways, kudos to anyone for, for trying to make a dollar off of it. But, but I do see what you mean. And, you know, one of the really interesting parts of this article that stuck out to me was Lazarus kind of saying that, um, you know, with the popularity of these races comes a, a wave of people who do it just to do it rather than doing it to, to be the best at it. Hmm. You know, he, he, he kind of echoed this, this Steve Prefontaine, Steve Prefontaine mentality, um, who was a great runner from the United States, um, back in the sixties and seventies who, uh, he said, um, there's kind of this stigma against quote unquote, taking it out too fast now. So, um, everyone's saying you need to be conservative because you need to make it through and finish. And Laz and Pre were both like, man, screw that. Like you're going <laughs> to, you're the goal is to do the best you can. And you're not going to do that if you don't like go all out from the start. Um, and so he was kind of lamenting that. And again, I think, like you said, it's, it's sort of conflicting because one, I want a sport that is accessible and popular and people enjoy it. And I, I truly believe that anybody who wants to set their mind to it can do it. Um, and there's value across the board from the top to the bottom. It's an amazing feat to run a hundred miles, but, um, just like, just like the big pro sports, you know, there are people that are going to be at their peak that are the most exciting to watch because, because of the competition, because of the, the heroism of these athletes. Hmm. Well, there seems to be like, there's always two sets of folks involved in a sport. Like when you found a sport, so let's say you started, you know, ultra marathoning and for the first 10 years when it wasn't popular, you were really like, you could compete and stuff. But then all of a sudden when it becomes popular, all the, the group of people competing is always going to grow and it's going to change. And like, now, as soon as there's money involved, there's incentives for all kinds of new people to get into the sport. And like, you can either choose, I think, to be like, all right, I helped build this and it's amazing to see it grow now and see new people get into it. Or you can be like, I helped build this and now you're taking it from me and I don't want you to take it from me. It's such an interesting choice that, like, it, I mean, I don't really think most people choose one way or the other, but it mm -hmm. is. Like you wind up in one of those camps, I think, most of the time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna put your heart and soul into something and you you want it to be good, then people are gonna naturally coalesce around it. And so, I, for me, it's like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna try and push something new, and and if it's awesome to me, my then I can't imagine why it wouldn't be compelling to other people. And so, mm -hmm. it wouldn't surprise me for something to kind of grow like that. Um, holding on to kind of the the purity of the sport as you know, these are small races and a hardcore group of people who commit their lives to it. I don't know. I kind of don't buy it. I, I, I think there's, again, I think there's just beauty in, in, in the entire scope of it. There's beauty in every single person doing it. And that, that's like all running for me too. And not just kind of the long, long, long distance stuff. Well, I'm also intrigued about these folks that like, let's say you're the one that started your, your Lazarus here or your, 
you're Jared Campbell who's run and finished the Barkley three times and or you're um I forget some of the other folks in this world, but even somebody like Pre, who's very famous in a small group of folks, it's a much bigger group, but um, I'm really intrigued about what it means to be a niche celebrity in some ways. Like, uh, you know, even like, I mean, so what's your, um, what's the name of your friend who's the, the chop, top notch Roanoke runner or whatever? Um, oh, yeah, I was talking, we'll talk about this a little later. Um, David Angel, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like, what's it like, even um, even on a small scale, like what the other guy that, um, Roanoke guy that wins all the Roanoke races around here. Um, oh, Pat. Pat. Yeah, yeah like, Pat. He, he just moved away, but yeah. So, I mean, like, even to be like that person where when you show up on the front line of a race, people are like, oh, it, he's here, you know, we're in trouble. Or, you know, yeah. like it to, or even, what's it like to be that space and what does that do to your mind when you're that? When you're that person, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, being whether it's like a small town celebrity, right, or being being kind of at the top of an incredibly niche field that only a small portion of the population knows about is is a strange world. It's like it's hard to kind of grow an ego about it because you kind of know, like, well, only, well, there's only like 40 people who know I am. So really, like, I'm known well, but I'm only known by a tiny amount of people. Um, and you're not, like, you're not necessarily a millionaire off of your fame. You can't really take, um, can't really make much off of it. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I imagine it's probably an odd, an odd space to be in, to be, like, a well-known niche athlete. Well, especially because I think that that can change any time. I mean, we saw with the free solo movie that just won at the Oscars, right? So here's Alex Honnold, who was a, already an icon in that climbing world, and now he's an icon everywhere. Like, that's, I don't know how anybody deals, I don't know how anybody deals with fame, period, but especially like... Especially like a meteoric rise, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have. <laughs> I haven't had that experience yet. So <laughs> when I do, I'll uh, I'll let you know how it feels. Well, it's especially interesting because it's like I don't think any of these folks. So I think about um, Gary Robbins, who's this famous ultra marathoner, and he is famous for coming up six seconds short at the Barkley marathons a few years ago, even though he wouldn't have been considered complete because he went off track and in, in his way back. But um, he talks about it taking six months to physically be right after that race. Like he could not, he said he couldn't run uphill without getting lightheaded. Physically, there was something, and mentally, there was something that would not let him do that. He did that not because he was going to make a bunch of money off of it, not because he was going to be a celebrity, but in the course of doing all that, he be, gains this minor celebrity status out of it, which is such an interesting. Cause you certainly have folks that know. I mean, if you're going to Hollywood or if you're going to a lot of these social media folks, you know you're trying to become a celebrity. These folks are just trying to do the best at their particular feel that they can, and in the process they become that that thing. Yeah, you know, um, ultra marathons uh, aren't exactly full of fame and fortune. Um, and when you a lot the the thing you get when you finish an ultra marathon is a belt buckle. Most, most ultras will give you a belt buckle when you finish, which is so ridiculous because who wears belt buckles in the world, right? As popular as they are in this ultra world. So this is the thing you're striving for is this belt buckle. And when you win 
when you finish and when you win Barclays, you don't even, you don't even get that. Like that's what such an odd race as Barclays is like, you don't get anything. It's not for fame. It's not for fortune. There's, there's no money, there's no prizes. And, and Laz, I think is quoted in this article saying, you know, you're not going to get famous off of doing this, but, um, but the people who know what you did, like they know forever what you did, you know, and, and so do you. Right. And again, I think a lot of this, especially in some of these niche sports comes down to not doing it for the money and not doing it because you're famous, but doing it because, you know, you did it because you know, there's this, um, insurmountable obstacle in front of you that thousands of people have tried and, and 15 have completed that, um, that you're part of this company now and that, you know, that you've like, you've pushed yourself to the absolute you know, and that's like, I think there's a, a personal satisfaction with that as long as kind of this, like, yeah, I mean, uh, among a really tiny group of people, there's some clout there that you've earned, <laughs> um, that, that probably people in that community hold their, like hold pretty close and are pretty proud of as well. So, uh, I think there's some like intrinsic value in it beyond just being a celebrity in the field. Um, to go back and put a plug in, there's a YouTube video of, um, of the guy who missed, missed the cutoff by six seconds. That is just absolutely heartbreaking. So if you've got a mind to, um, to check that out, um, I think you can search Gary's name and probably find it cause it's just, Oh, it's a heartbreaker. Well, I want to, I want to give you a chance here before we leave this, this space to tell us why we should all go out and try and run an ultra. Sam. <coughs> Why should we all try and go out and run an ultra? Um, because we can, because it's there. Uh, this is the reason I think that, that people started doing this at the beginning is because, you know, there's this, this, I mean, there's a growing body of, of kind of scientific study that says that we as humans were built to be runners, that this was how we evolved. We hunted by running. We, we survive by running. Um, and we can, you know, um, maybe the reason that ultra marathons have, have grown in popularity is because the marathon is so doable, right? And that we need to figure out what the next thing is that everybody can do. And whether that's 50 kilometers or 50 miles or a hundred miles, um, you know, you should test yourself if it's running or something else. I mean, I think, I think there's, there's value for everyone just to test themselves somehow, you know, to, to find their limits, whatever they are. Hmm. Well, in reading up for this, I was intrigued. They talked about Oprah changing the name for marathons. So like when Oprah ran a marathon, it changed the face of who wanted to run marathons. And now that became the big thing. So I wonder who's going to be like, I can see Matthew McConaughey running the ultra and all of a sudden like that becomes the thing. Yeah. I mean, if people, you know, if, if, if you, if you see people do it, that you think, well, they're just an average person. Um, and they don't look like a runner, you know, why can't I do it? Why can't I become a runner? Um, I love it. I, you know, the more people do it, the better. If Matthew McConaughey wants to come out and do an ultra, I'll join him. You know, <laughs> it's an official invite. That's an official Sports invite Inside. from Matthew McConaughey to come, to come to Roanoke and run an ultra marathon with me. Well, good deal. Um, there's so much more we could unpack there, but I guess we'll leave it there for the moment. And, um, why don't you tell us what you're looking forward to for this next week, Sam? Speaking of niche running events, the, uh, the masters track and field world championships are happening as we speak in, um, in Poland. Um, I think mostly I'm interested because it's like another field of people who are just at an amazing peak of fitness and, and, and competitiveness, um, at a time where you're supposed to be like, 
slowing down, right? And they are absolutely not. Um, we have a local runner, uh, David Angel, who I want to shout out to, who's, who's competing in, I think, two events um, this week. And I'm going to be tracking it because it's just, it's really compelling to me um, to watch these folks who have just con- continued to, to maintain elite world athlete status and be able to represent their country. Um, and they're still running incredibly fast. You know, it's really, really cool. Well, it's proof in some ways, I think, that that competitive spirit doesn't die out when your capacity starts to die out in some ways. And so, yeah. And I mean, we, I think, as, as athletes, are lucky to live in a time where, um, you know, we can recover better, we can, we can train smarter, we you have more tools at our disposal to kind of hold, hold a peak of fitness for a much longer time in our lives. Um, it's really, really neat to be able to see people use science and use kind of modern technology um, in legal ways to, uh, to, to kind of keep up that level of fitness and level of training. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, at the same time, it's, uh, it'll be fascinating to see what comes with senior sports as more of us play stuff. Now I think about pickleball only growing in popularity because there's a bunch of folks that are looking for an athletic outlet that don't move very well anymore. And that number is only going to increase with time. Yeah. Senior sports is a growth industry. Maybe we got to get into that field. (laughs) Senior sports apparel. That's what we need to find. Yeah. Senior athleisure. (laughs) All right, I'm right. gonna I'm gonna build up that business plan. I like it. Um, and what about you? So I have been really captivated by Netflix's move into the sports documentary space. Um, you know, they've got a gr- fascinating F1 one, which we've talked about a little bit on here. They've got a fascinating one about the English, or excuse me, Indian Premier League cricket teams, which is also a really fascinating subculture. And then perhaps most interesting, I love this idea. They've got a new series about losers, so famous losers of events coming to talk about what that loss meant and how they've dealt with it in their lives is a, just a really compelling way to think about things. So I'm, they've got a number of others, Sunderland Till I Die, about being a Sunderland soccer fan, which is fascinating, but uh, really interested to see where else they go in that kind of sports documentary space. Do you think that um, do you think that Netflix could get, could ever or would ever get into the the actual sports the live sports space or um, or recorded games or anything like that? Because that seems like seems like something they're missing in the industry is is if they've got all these TV and movie and documentary angles covered. Um, everyone wants to watch sports too. It does. I do wonder. Both Hulu and Amazon Prime have moved into that space. And I'm wondering if Netflix maybe chose not to and whether or not they're going to regret that when they get on. It's probably an expensive ship to jump into if you're trying to show mm-hmm. pro sports, you know. Yeah. Which there, but it is interesting. There's a bunch of niches where I love to see them jump into. So, like, you know, I mentioned IPL, the Indian Premier League. Like, I and a bunch of folks in the United States, I think, would watch that if it were on Netflix. Um, and yet, Instead, I have to sign up for this thing, Hotstar, which I don't want to pay for. I don't, I don't need an Indian <laughs> streaming service. Like Netflix should be bidding on that stuff. And like, there's a bunch. Like, I wanted to watch Milan San Remo, one of the biggest five one-day cycling races in the world yesterday, and I had to go watch a bootleg stream of it because, like, there's almost nobody that has streaming rights to it in this country, and it's like. That's why I would love to see them get into is not necessarily the football, basketball, baseball, but the niche 
world sports. I mean, ultra marathon, you know, yeah. who knows? Do you think, um, you know, we have this obsession, I think with live sports, right? We're, we're big fans and we want to see it as it goes down and, and we don't want to, we don't have, we don't want someone to ruin the score for us later so we can watch it next week or whatever. Do you think that in order to, to really enjoy that stuff and to be successful in that space that, um, Netflix would have to stream live sports or do like, would you be just as satisfied to watch Milan San Remo two days later? It'd have to be live. It'd have to be live. I think. Yeah. Because I can get all that stuff bootleg somewhere else. But the live experience and watching it through Netflix, I think, would be really, really enjoyable. Now that I'm saying this, I'm like, why shouldn't what somebody needs to why be doing they this? Done it yet? Amazon and Netflix <laughs> need to be bidding on this crap. <laughs> Maybe the money's not there yet. Uh, who knows? Um, I mean, I, I think, but like, I think. If I had more time in my life to watch more sports, I would I would watch recorded like new recorded sports, I think. You know, if I were inclined to watch cricket, knowing that no one in my life is is kind of watching live cricket and is excited about it and is compelled by it, I could watch, you know, I could catch up on a season of cricket. You could binge watch it, right? Um as opposed to kind of waiting week to week for the live results. Um, people watch Jeopardy on Netflix, reruns of Jeopardy, you know? So it's like the live aspect of that doesn't seem, and Jeopardy isn't live, but, um, you know, the, the kind of in the moment aspect of that doesn't seem to bother people, but yeah, maybe, maybe especially for some of those outside of America, more niche sports, um, maybe there's a market for binge watching them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so that's what I would promote is I would want Netflix to do it live and then have a recorded version of yeah. it up afterwards. And then I would also say, like, this is an extra level of editing, so maybe this is too much. But, like, to do, like, a 10-minute recap of those games would also be fascinating. I mean, that's my favorite. I miss The thing I miss most from my time staying abroad in England as a soccer fan was Match of the Day over there where you – it's like SportsCenter except – you're not watching somebody else commentate over the highlights. You're watching live game commentary over those highlights, which I think is, I don't hmm. know why Americans haven't picked up on the fact that that's way more interesting than some guy five hours Same later boom goes saying dynamite. what's going on <laughs> over things. Um, yeah, I agree. I like that. I think that's a, a good concept that we should adopt. All right, well, we're here, Netflix, whenever you're interested in, in breaking down that barrier. So. I'll, I'll binge watch some sports for sure, Netflix. <laughs> get, into, get into weird stuff, man. Show yeah. the ultimate. You would love Ultimate Frisbee, oh, right? Yeah. Ultimate Hand, Frisbee League. Handball. I would love to volleyball even, man. I would watch some volleyball on a Sunday afternoon when I don't know <laughs> everything else going on. Those dudes are freaks athletes. You beach know? or uh, indoor? Indoor. I don't, beach doesn't interest me. Oh, anymore. I like the sand court. Yeah. I don't like saying it. Just think about it. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, well, thanks for joining us today, Sam. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me for the first time ever. Maybe, yeah. hopefully, it won't be the last. Hopefully so. Um, if you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks. Have a good one.